Dragnet. The Jack Benny Program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We offer you Escape. Fire Miss Brooks. Suspense. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. A special three-hour presentation with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, about six minutes after 11 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater Program 410 in the series. It's Sunday, August 4th, and to my right is the vivacious one herself, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl, what's going on? Uh, you know, when you move that, it makes all kinds of noise. Sorry, I yeah. was just fixing myself up the here. audience is going to turn the radio off. No, never. Yeah. Never. Um, you know who we have in the booth there? I do. We've got Shantae Garth, so we know we're going to have a great show. Hi, Shantae. Smooth Shantae's. sailing. Uh, we have our Miss Brooks to start things off, Eve Arden from 1949. Then it's The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes from 1947, starring John Stanley and Alfred Shirley. But first, we're going to play our game, right, Lisa? We sure are. Is it real? Or is it ridiculous? Uh, brought to you by Cat's Bride. And you'll probably say the wrong one. But we are going to be talking about Barbara Eden in hour one. Whoa. Oh, I, I me- know. I met Barbara Eden. Yeah, look at the smile on your face. She was as cute as can be. Uh, she still she is still something else. She still looked like the same gal like I from I Dream of Jeannie. Yep. What a memory, right? Yes, indeed. And we're going to be giving away a Lou Malnati's gift certificate. Oh, Who doesn't love a Lou's pizza? Let's do one millionth uh, customer. Uh, All right, let's do it. One millionth caller. Caller now, 1,312,000. No, how much? What no. caller? We're going like? to call with caller number two. So call right oh, now, 312 981 7200. Call now and we will be right back. And you know what, Lisa? What, There's Carl? also a toll free number. Yes, there is. People can call to learn more about joining the Classic Radio Club. It's 888 642 6556. Once again, that's 888 888- Six four two six five five six. Chicago stories told twenty four seven on seven twenty WGN Chicago. That's us. We're here with uh, the WGN Radio Theater, and it's time to play our game. We have Paul on the phone. Hi, Paul. Hey there. How are you? I am doing good. Good. You sound good on the radio. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> All right. We're going to do a little Barbara Eden, and uh, Carl's here to help you out, possibly. Okay? Number one, Barbara Eden was pregnant during the filming of season one of I Dream of Jeannie. Is that real or ridiculous? I think that's ridiculous. I agree. I think it's ridiculous. It's absolutely real. What? Yeah, the first 10 episodes of season one, they had her really covered up because she was pregnant. Oh, wait, <laughs> no, no. I the wrong one. Sorry. Hang <laughs> no, on a second. No, no. I got a lot of buttons. <laughs> I know you do. I like to push all your buttons. Oh, I boy. thought you'd know that, Carl. No. Okay. In 1964, she appeared on the TV show Bewitched as a secretary. Real or ridiculous? Hmm. I I don't think so. I I think that's ridiculous. On what show? Bewitched. I'm gonna I'm gonna say real. 
It's ridiculous. Oh, Go, Paul. Man. Gosh. <laughs> Unbelievable. Carl, you're this supposed is for to know Paul. Barbara Eden. And this is from me. Oh, my gosh, Carl. It's my theme song, I think. Yeah, I think it is, too. Okay, here's your chance. Number three. She published a memoir in 2011 titled Genie Out of the Bottle. Real or ridiculous? I think that's real. I'm going to agree with Paul. It's real. Hey, we I finally, thought I'd get you on that we one. We got to <laughs> Car, you learned a few things. Nice. And, and Paul, you are the winner here because you have won the best prize on the universe. It is a Lou Malnati's gift certificate because Lou Malnati's is home of Chicago's very best deep dish pizza, our favorite here. And you can find one of their 40 plus Chicagoland locations or order online at com. Thank you so much for playing, Paul. Thank you. Take care. Gosh, a pizza from Lou sounds oh good. Oh, gosh. <laughs> really Paul's does. a big winner. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. That's fantastic. Oh, man. Uh, I could go for a spinach. I, I'm in. Oh, yeah. Lou Malnati's right now. I'm 40 in. 40 locations around. Right. There's got to be one nearby. Is there one near here? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there is. <laughs> Send us a pizza if okay. you're listening. Any spinach is perfect. Spinach, it would work. We're here till <laughs> 1 o'clock in the morning. All right. We have a text in line, 312-981-7200. That is how you can contact us. We love getting your text. But right now it's time for Our Miss Brooks. Don't you just love this series? I, You know, Our Miss Brooks was a show that came on radio in 1948. It lasted through the end of the, uh, I would say, the mid-1950s. Then it made its transition to television. It was on radio and TV at the same time. There were films. Eve Arden played ninth grade English teacher Connie Brooks. She was awesome in this role. She worked at Madison High School. And um, the principal, he was awesome. Osgood Conklin, played by Gail Gordon, who would be Lucille Ball's foil for many, many years. Richard Crenna was uh, Walter Denton, her favorite student. And Jeff Chandler was the bashful biologist. She had such a crush on him, Lisa. She was madly in love with him. And he never popped the question, although... Although we have a fun fact that talks about that. That's right. You talk uh, posted about it on our Facebook page. That's right. So did he ever pop the question? Well, don't answer that. Yeah. Check our Facebook page and find out. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's right on our fun fact. All right. So this is from September 11th, 1949. Here is part one now of Eve Arden in Our Miss Brooks. Luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate dental cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay, bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. And now, another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks, written and directed by Al Lewis. Many teachers returning from their vacations, well-tanned and rested, are looking forward to resuming their duties tomorrow morning. But our Miss Brooks, who spent most of her vacation time teaching English at Madison High Summer School doesn't share their enthusiasm for getting back into harness. No, I've been wearing the thing so long, I'm saddle sore. (laughs) Of course, when summer school ended in August, I did make up my mind to get a complete change of scenery. So I took the money I received, added it to my savings from the regular school term, and by careful budgeting, was able to spend three glorious weeks in the furnished room I rent all year round. (laughs) 
But last Thursday morning at breakfast, my landlady, Mrs. Davis, and I were discussing my plans for a Friday picnic. But why must the picnic be tomorrow, Connie? Why not Saturday or Sunday? Because, Mrs. Davis, tomorrow is the last weekday I'll have off until Thanksgiving. And if our beloved principal could get away with it, he'd change that to a Sunday. <laughs> oh, Mr. Conklin isn't that bad, Connie. He likes a good time as well as the next fellow. He likes a good time better than the next fellow. But if the next fellow happens to be a teacher, Mr. Conklin will stop having a good time to give the teacher who's having a good time a bad time. <laughs> and a song by Rudy Valley. Oh. Is uh, Mr. Boynton taking you to the picnic, Connie? Yes, Mrs. Davis. I accepted my invitation on the phone last night. <laughs> It'll be good to see Madison's bashful biologist again. He just got back from a three-week vacation, you know. Who will all is going on this picnic, Connie? Mm, Harriet Conklin and Walter Denton all. <laughs> it was really Walter's idea. The poor kid can't spend any time with Harriet without Mr. Conklin constantly barking at him. Mr. Conklin isn't very fond of Walter, is he? Oh, it's not that Mr. Conklin isn't fond of Walter. He hates him. <laughs> but it ought to be a nice outing for all of us. Oh, that's the door, isn't it? No, that's the bell. The door makes more of a creaking sound. <laughs> well, I'll answer it. I need the exercise. If you want me, I'll be in the backyard, Connie. I've got to prune the fig tree. <laughs> Why, it's Mr. Boynton. Come in. Uh, good morning, Miss Brooks. I brought this basket over for the picnic tomorrow. Do you think it's big enough for us? I don't know, but it might be fun trying it on. <laughs> Oh, you mean for sandwiches? Well, it seems sort of small, but the basket can wait. I want to know all about your vacation, where you went, what you did. Well, I, I just went up to Eagle Springs, had a beautiful cabin, did a little fishing, played some golf and tennis. I did a little rowing, too, and at night they had a campfire where we broiled or barbecued steaks, and after that there was usually a movie or some entertainment at the casino. That's all there was to it. You should have asked for your money back. <laughs> Did you do any dancing at the casino, Mr. Boynton? Dancing? Yes, I did dance a little. With whom? Oh. <laughs> I, I, I didn't dance with anyone, just, just by myself. You know, I'd get off in a... <laughs> I'd get off in a dark corner of the casino and sort of waltz around in time to the music. That's nice that way. If you get bored, you can always cut in on yourself. <laughs> How was your trip back to town? Oh, very pleasant, although the train was quite crowded. Guess who came into town on the same train with me? Who? I'll take a guess. Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. No. Charlie McCarthy alone. No, Miss Brooks. No, it was Wallace T. Hewitt. It was? Yes, ma'am. Wallace T. Hewitt himself? That's right. Gosh. Who's Wallace T. Hewitt? <laughs> surprised at you, Miss Brooks. I thought every teacher knew the chairman of the State Board of Education. Oh, it was that, Wallace T. Hewitt. Did you ask him for a raise, Mr. Boynton? Oh, I know you're joking, Miss Brooks. I didn't speak to Mr. Hewitt at all. As soon as we landed in the depot, he was surrounded by reporters. Well, he's a power in educational circles in this state. It was all I could do to get a glimpse of him. What does he look like? Oh, he's quite short, almost completely bald, with a little wispy mustache and small beady eyes behind thick glasses. 
Good-looking boy. <laughs> and although he's very stout, he, he moves along rather briskly, like, like a penguin. I wonder what he's doing in town. Maybe he's shopping around for a new tuxedo. <laughs> but let's not talk about the Board of Education, Mr. Boynton. Time enough for that when school opens next Monday. Hmm? You're right, Miss Brooks. You haven't had a real vacation this summer. This picnic tomorrow ought to be... Oh, it's the phone. Excuse me, Mr. Boynton. Hello? Hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Conklin. Oh, how are you, Mr. Conklin? You'll have to dispense with the amenities, Miss Brooks. I'm calling to inform you that Madison High School will open tomorrow morning at the usual time. Tomorrow? But school doesn't start till Monday. I said, Miss Brooks, that our school opens tomorrow. But, Mr. Conklin, Monday is September 12th. All schools open on the 12th. Beginning to feel as if I were talking into a thermos bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Brooks, just a short time ago, I received a telephone call from Mr. Wallace T. Hewitt, chairman of the State Board of Education. Although I've never met Mr. Hewitt, he notified me of his intention to visit my office in the morning. Naturally, I expect a 100% turnout from faculty and student body alike to help me welcome this most distinguished visitor. But, Mr. Conklin, we've got a picnic planned for tomorrow. In a few minutes, Walter Denton's going to take me shopping. Walter Denton? Please, Miss Brooks. I've asked you before, and I beseech you again. Don't mention that name so soon after breakfast. (laughs) What my daughter sees in that lame-brained dunce is more than I can... Oh, but there's no time for that now. Until tomorrow morning, Miss Brooks, it's au revoir. Au revoir to you, Mr. Conklin. Well, there goes our picnic, Mr. Boynton. Where? Down the drain, I'm afraid. Your precious Mr. Hewitt has decided to honor our fair school with a visit tomorrow morning. So Mr. Conklin's ordered us all back to greet him. Tomorrow? But school doesn't open officially until Monday. Believe me, Mr. Boynton, I delivered that message with all the feeling my parched little throat could muster. But the answer's the same. It's the Bastille at dawn. Coming! Well, it can't be Walter Denton. Why not? Hiya, Miss Brooks. (laughs) I just saw Mr. Boynton on the corner. I know, he just left. Walter, I've got some sterling news for you. Your news will have to wait, Miss Brooks. I've got the bulletin of all time. Oh, you have? Sure. Listen to this. You know how Mr. Conklin hates me. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't call him a fan, Walter. Yeah, I know. But even so, when he hears about anybody having a good time, even me, he sometimes tries to muscle in. So, I thought up a way to keep him from ruining our picnic tomorrow if he decides to horn in at the last minute. Uh, but Walter, about tomorrow... Uh, please, we... Miss Brooks, let me finish. About an hour ago, I called old Marblehead on the phone... At, I mean, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> and I put a handkerchief over the mouthpiece and disguised my voice. Oh, you should have been there, Miss Brooks. It was a riot. Well, what did you say, Walter? I said, get a load of this, Miss Brooks. I said... Hello, Conklin? And he said, yes, this is Osgood Conklin. Who is this? And then I said, this will kill you, Miss Brooks. Well, let's not make it such a slow death. (laughs) Who did you say it was? I said, Conklin, this is Wallace T. Hewitt. Wallace T. Oh, no. And then I said, I'm inspecting some of the schools in this area, and I'll expect to see you in your office at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. (laughs) 
all over himself to be nice to me. <laughs> I hung up. <laughs> is that a rib or is that a rib? That, Walter, is the greatest rib that's been pulled since Adam was a bachelor. <laughs> Starring Eve Arden will continue in just a moment, but first, here is Vern Smith. Now, dental science reveals a startling discovery in the fight against tooth decay. Proof that always using Colgate Dental Cream right after eating helps stop tooth decay before it starts. Continuous research, hundreds of case histories, makes this the most important news in dental history. Eminent dental authorities supervised hundreds of college men and women for over a year. One group always brushed their teeth with Colgate's right after eating. The other followed their usual dental care. And here are the amazing results. The group using Colgate Dental Cream, as directed, showed a startling reduction in average number of cavities, far less tooth decay. The other group developed new cavities at a much higher rate. No other dentifrice offers proof of these results. And Colgate's contains all the necessary ingredients, including an exclusive patented ingredient for effective daily dental care. No risk of irritation to tissues and gums. And no change in flavor, foam, or cleansing action. As always, Colgate's cleans your breath while it cleans your teeth. The Colgate's now at your dealers is the same formula used in the tests. Always use Colgate Dental Cream right after eating to help prevent new cavities, help stop tooth decay before it starts. Yeah. Yeah. Use Colgate, Lisa. Stops tooth decay. I will tell you that I am a Crest fan. You like Crest? Yeah, I don't switch. I like Tom's. I'm very brand loyal. You ever use that? Tom's? I haven't. I know it, but I it's gotta be Crest for me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You hear the quality of this radio show? I mean you hear the sound quality, it's so crystal clear, it's because it's from a master recording. And uh we only use this type of quality recordings, the master sound quality recordings in our classic radio club. So if you've ever thought about joining the classic radio club, you should because you will get 10 shows that sound like this each and every month. You'll get the Lone Ranger, Jack Benny, Suspense, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Our Miss Brooks, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, right? Boston Blackie. Oh, yeah. Every single month I switch it up. It's 10 different shows. And uh, it's nine ninety nine a month to be a member. Now, a, a dollar a show, plus you get copious liner notes. And if you get the CDs, you get five CDs with two shows on each CD in a collector case. And that's just a little more, fourteen ninety nine. So we keep it the price really low. Our members love it. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of members. But here's the cool thing. If you're not a member, you want to join and you want to try it for one month. You don't pay $9.99. You don't pay $14.99. You pay $1. That's all you pay. You get 10 shows sent to you via digital download or you can get the CDs. When you get the CDs for a dollar, you do have to pay the shipping and handling. But the digital downloads are only $1. And you can try it. You'll get Abbott and Costello with the Who's On First. You're going to get Suspense, Sorry Wrong Number, with Agnes Moorhead, the most famous suspense broadcast of all time. You get Jack Benny. You get all kinds of great shows the very first time, and you will get 10 new shows every month. Now, you can cancel at any time. If you're not happy, just cancel. It's not a club where you join. It's like it's not like a record club where you keep getting sent stuff. 
If you want to cancel, you cancel. This is a club for our members that we created for you. I hope you'll try it. Go to our website, ClassicRadioClub.com. ClassicRadioClub.com. And there is a toll-free number. You can talk to a live operator, and she'll sign you up, or he will sign you up, either one. 888-642-6556. All right, we have more of our Miss Brooks after these words. Woodman's are the best, Lisa. And you know what? When you shop at Woodman's, you can take a photo of your receipt and send it into us at Woodman's WGN Radio. No, uh, no. Woodman's WGN at gmail.com. <laughs> send that into us and we'll send you 12 digital downloads of classic radio shows. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Thanks, Vic. Welcome back. It is 1134. On a Sunday night, and we are listening to Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, her signature role, you know. And then, remember when she was on uh, in the movie Grease? Oh, she right. Played the, yes. um, she was the principal of the school that they went to. What was the name of the school? Um, oh, man, on Greece. Uh, uh, Rydell High? Yeah, Rydell. <laughs> Great job, Lisa. Yeah, but she was sort of like an Our Miss Brooks character. Mm-hmm. It was so funny. I remember her. That was perfect casting to have her... As the she was great in Greece. Yeah, I remember she? her. She was uh, great. love her that on whole, this too. That whole that movie Greece was is great. Yeah, Greece is the word. Greece is the word. Is the word. Is the <laughs> is word. The word. <laughs> All right, let's get back now to our Miss Brooks. Well, I spent most of Thursday night trying to figure how to keep Walter Denton from being expelled and still go on our picnic Friday instead of waiting around school for a Mr. Hewitt who would never arrive. About four in the morning, an idea was born, and a thoroughbred infant it was, out of desperation by panic. (laughs) A half hour before school was due to convene, found me heading for Marty's Malt Shop, a student hangout across the street from Madison. As I entered, I noticed Stretch Snodgrass, known to his chums as athlete's foot of the brain, (laughs) seated at a table by himself. Good morning, Stretch. Am I intruding? No, Miss Brooks. You don't look no different to me than you always do. (laughs) Thank you, I think. Mind if I sit down and have a cup of coffee? Not at all. Here, I'll take this off the seat for you. It's my football. Yes, I know. That's the only thing you've passed all year. (laughs) But Stretch... There's something you've just got to understand. Yeah, there must be something. (laughs) Now I'm not so sure. (laughs) But it seems that a very dear mutual friend of ours engineered a rather foolish prank yesterday. And if the facts ever leak out, he'll be expelled from Madison. You and I, Stretch, hold his scholastic future in our hands. Now, how good are you at keeping a secret? Oh, I'm very good, Miss Brooks. Like yesterday when my pal Walter Denton imitated Mr. Hewitt's voice on the phone and told old Marblehead that... Oh, Mr. Conklin, he better hightail it over to school today. After Walter done it, he made me promise to keep it a secret. So that's why I won't tell nobody. Not a word of it. Not a word of what, Stretch? Of how Walter told... Oh, no, you don't. You can't trick me into spilling anything. (laughs) You couldn't beat it out of me with a rubber hose. Stout fella. (laughs) 
But stretch, the entire faculty and student body have to be in school this morning only because Walter imitated Mr. Hewitt's voice on the phone and told old Marblehead, uh, Mr. Conklin, <laughs> to hightail it over to school today. Gosh, how did you know that, Miss Brooks? There must have been a leak. <laughs> but I've got an idea that can get us all out of here. Now, will you help me, Stretch? Sure, Miss Brooks. What can I do? Well, you can see to it that Mr. Hewitt arrives nice and early so we can all leave the same way. But I don't know Mr. Hewitt. And Mr. Conklin doesn't either. Now, listen closely, Stretch. You know the little park right across from the school library? Library? Where all the books are kept. (laughs) Books? It's on the way to the football field. Oh, that little park. Sure, I know where that is. There's always a bunch of old Delericks sitting around there. (laughs) Old what? Delericks, you know, bums, sort of. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) Stretch, I want you to get one of those men and bring him to me. But be sure you get a fat one with glasses who has a little mustache. Mr. Conklin might have seen a picture of Mr. Hewitt somewhere. Well, that shouldn't be too tough. A lot of them look like that. But, Miss Brooks... Supposing he don't want to come. He's got to come. Tell him he'll be helping a human being in distress. Tell him anything, but bring him directly to me. Well, I don't get him, Miss Brooks. Why should... A quiet I... stretch. Harriet Conklin's coming over. Now, whatever you do, don't mention a word of this. Good morning, Miss Brooks. Well, shut Stretch's mouth if it isn't Harriet Conklin. <laughs> How are you, Harriet? Oh, I feel wonderful, Miss Brooks. Hiya, Stretch. What do you know? You couldn't beat it out of me with a rubber hose. <laughs> Miss Brooks? He ain't talking. Now, Stretch, you'd better go over to the park and do what I told you. I'll explain to Harriet and get her oath of allegiance on our way over to school. All right, Miss Brooks. Remember now, get a small, chubby one with glasses. I'll remember. See you later, Harriet. What's this all about, Miss Brooks? What did you send Stretch after? A penguin, Harriet. With glasses? Why not? A penguin's entitled to see where he's going, isn't he? <laughs> understand this. Boy, of all the people in the park, why did you have to pick on me? Because you were so nice and round. Mm. (laughs) I mean, like I told you, mister, it's a matter of helping out a human being. Besides, you wasn't doing nothing in the park. I wasn't doing nothing? Who teaches you English, boy? (laughs) Miss Brooks. Well, there she is waiting on the steps. I'll introduce her to you in a minute. Well, what's your name? My name is Hewitt. Wallace T. Hewitt, chairman of the State Board of Education. <laughs> chairman of the... Uh, excuse me a minute. Where are you going? I better go back to the park and get another one. <laughs> Nonsense. You've aroused my curiosity now, and I'm going to see this thing through. Hello, Stretch. Miss Brooks, this is Mr. Hewitt. Oh, it certainly is. Oh, he's perfect, Stretch. Yeah. Perfect. But, Miss Brooks, this really is Mr. Hewitt. I'll say, from the top of his shiny skull to the tips of his waddly little toes. <laughs> now, see here, young woman, I demand to know what this is all about. First, I'm sitting in the park reading and... The want ads can wait, Chubby. I've got a job for you. <laughs> a job? For me? It'll only take a few minutes, and I'll see that you get a dollar for your trouble. A dollar? This kid is really anxious. We could probably have swung it for a quarter. Now, listen carefully, Hewitt. I'll be calling you by that name from here in, so we might as well get used to it. All you've got to do is convince Mr. Conklin, our principal, that you're Mr. Hewitt, chairman of the State Board of Education. I see. 
Uh, do you think my card might help to convince him? I've got some in my wallet here. There we are. The cords are right, uh, cards are right in this little compartment. Uh, see where my name is printed in gold letters? Wallace T. Hewitt. Quick stretch, call a cop. This bum has just murdered Mr. Hewitt. <laughs> Here, young woman, this has gone far enough. Fortunately, I'm just proud enough of my position to carry with me a newspaper photo which appeared last month. Here, look at it. Wallace T. Hewitt, chairman of the State Board of Education. Stretch, it's him. Sure, it's him. Of course it's him. And me. <laughs> Why, Mr. Hewitt, we, we knew it was you all the time. Well, you did, huh? But you said I waddled and that I murdered myself. Well, that was all part of the joke, Mr. Hewitt. You see, one of our teachers came back on the same train with you from Eagle Springs. You didn't see him, of course, but he couldn't help observing what a jovial, good-natured, jolly sort of person you are. Well, I do have quite a good sense of humor about some things. <laughs> but another explanation seems in order, Miss Brooks. Why are so many students roaming about the campus? School doesn't start until next Monday. Well, that's because our principal, Mr. Conklin, wanted us to get a head start. Really? Well, that is unusual. I'd like to meet Mr. Conklin while I'm here. Oh, no, you wouldn't. He's not in on the rib. Huh? I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, that is, with such a distinguished visitor, I'd like to tell him you're here first. You know, give him a chance to run a comb through his tie and fix the knot in his hair. <laughs> but, my dear Miss Brooks... Oh, please, Mr. Hewitt, take a little stroll around the grounds, and I'll meet you at Mr. Conklin's office in a few minutes. Well, if it'll make you feel more comfortable to announce me. But uh, how will I find Mr. Conklin's office? You can't miss it. When you come back to the main building, you'll see a door with a gray-haired English teacher in a straitjacket in front of it. Just push me aside and walk right in. <laughs> Daddy told me he'd be right over here giving the athletic field a last-minute check. Have you seen him, Walter? No, Harriet, but he might be in the gym. Gosh, I'm nervous as a kitten. If your dad finds out we're hiring a hobo to impersonate Mr. Hewitt, we'll be boiled in oil. Oh, he won't find out. We'll just have to be real cagey about it. I wonder where Daddy could be. I'm right here behind the handball court, my dear. Mr. Conklin! <laughs> so I'm to be duped, am I? Uh, By an impersonator, eh? A hobo, eh? Miss Brooks, I don't understand. Why am I sitting behind Mr. Conklin's desk? Because, Mr. Boynton, with the real Mr. Hewitt on our hands, we've got to have a fake Mr. Conklin. And outside of Mr. Conklin, you're the best fake I could find. <laughs> but he might come back to his office Well, and... we've just got to take that chance. If Mr. Hewitt talks to Mr. Conklin and the truth about that phone call comes out, Walter Denton will be expelled. Oh, gee, I wouldn't want that to happen. Well, then we've got to see this thing through. Mr. Hewitt should be finishing his tour of the school. Come in! Well, Miss Brooks, I'm back. Good. Mr. Conklin here has just been perishing to meet you. Mr. Conklin, may I present Mr. Hewitt? Uh, uh, how do you do, sir? So you're Mr. Conklin. Uh, tell me, how long have you been the principal of Madison High School? Uh, not long at all. <laughs> I imagined as much. You're a very young man to be holding this high office, Mr. Conklin. And I might add, a very handsome young man. Isn't he a doll? <laughs> 
industrious, Mr. Hewitt. You won't catch many principals jumping the gun like this, uh, coming to school ahead of time. Hey, that's very true, Miss Brooks. I'll certainly mention this in my report to the board. I'm returning to the state capitol in a couple of hours, you know. Oh, really? Then we wouldn't want you to miss your train, sir. Now that we've met you, maybe we ought to let you get out. Uh, but uh... fast. <laughs> I'll show you a shortcut to the bus line if you'll just follow me out this door and we'll go... Going somewhere, Miss Brooks? Not me. I'm rooted to the spot. <laughs> Good. And this, I presume, is Mr. Hewitt? That's right. Mr. Wallace T. Hewitt? Yes. Chairman of the State Board of Education? That is correct. Get out of this office, you hobo! <laughs> hobo! Pack up your bindle and hit the road! <laughs> this has gone far enough. Mr. Conklin... Did you hear what I just heard? Of, of course, course I, I heard. heard. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Brooks, what's the meaning of this? Something wrong, Mr. Hewitt? <laughs> wrong? This, this hobo just called me a hobo. Do I have to show everyone in town my picture in the paper to prove I'm not a vagrant? Here, take a look at this, you oaf. <laughs> Wallace T. Hewitt. Chairman of the state. Gad! It's you! Yes, it's me! And I'm going to see that the board hears of this outrageous affair. Now, what's your name? My um, name? Yes, your name. My name is uh, Denton, Walter Denton. <laughs> Presume you're a member of the Madison High faculty? Uh, faculty? Uh, no, no, sir, I'm a student here. <laughs> a student? You? G.I. Bill of Rights. <laughs> He's making up some credits so he can get into grade school. Hi, Miss Brooks, the door was open, so I just... Oh, Mr. Conklin. Yes? <laughs> This is Mr. Hewitt, Mr. Wallace T. Hewitt. It's no use. The jig's up, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin knows he's just a hobo. The... <laughs> Again, hobo. What is your name, young man? Me? Uh, uh, that, that's my pal, Mr. Hewitt. One of my dearest buddies here at school. Uh, uh, Stretch Snodgrass. <laughs> Take hands with Mr. Hewitt, Stretch. Stretch? Somebody mentioned my name? <laughs> Not yet, but we will in a minute. <laughs> Mr. Hewitt, this is the boy who asked you to join us while you were sitting in the park. Meet Philip Boynton. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm quite following the goings-on here today, but I've just got to make that train. Let me tell you one thing, though, Mr. Conklin. Yes? <laughs> will you please stop butting in Denton? Sorry, Sorry Mr. Mr. Hewitt. <laughs> the glee club too long. I just want you to know that in spite of my sense of humor, I consider this incident a grievous insult to a man in my position, and I'm going to take action immediately. But, Mr. Hewitt, what action are you going to take? I'm going to see to it that a certain Walter Denton is expelled from this school. Expelled? Expelled? Expelled. Boy, I'm glad I'm not in their shoes. Young woman, as the instigator of this degrading practical joke... 
You shall be as severely penalized as the state board permits, and I shall take great pleasure in recommending your immediate suspension without pay. Now, Miss Brooks, what do you say to that? Well, Miss Brooks? Miss Brooks? Who's Miss Brooks? <laughs> what? Well, if you're not Miss Brooks, then who are you? Mr. Hewitt, shake hands with Sam, the janitor. <laughs> Once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, what started out as a pretty dangerous practical joke soon proved to be nothing more than a clean-cut, wholesome shambles. <laughs> but by mass pleading and a pint of quickly generated tears, we finally prevailed upon Mr. Hewitt to suspend sentence. And at long last, we were off on our picnic. In less than an hour, Mr. Boynton had driven us about 30 miles from town. Well, it took us a little while, but we can still have some fun. Sure we can. It's a beautiful day and the ride's just swelled. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? I certainly do, Walter. Your car drives beautifully, Mr. Boynton. So much smoother than mine. Oh, thanks, Miss Brooks. But you know something? I can't help wishing we had taken my car instead. Why, Miss Brooks? Because that's where I left the picnic basket. <laughs> Brought to you by Mustard Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breast while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That is our Miss Brooks, September 11th, 1949. The head of the State Board of Education visits. Very funny broadcast, Eve Arden starring. And you know who did the music on that? Wilbur Hatch. You know what he used to say before he would take a drink? Down the hatch? Yeah. <laughs> Good one, Carl. Uh, let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. Hey, Lisa, what are you doing next August? Um, August 1st of 2020? Yeah. I'm going on a cruise. You want to come? Yeah, I'm okay. going on that same cruise. Are you? Darn yes, it. <laughs> it's called the Classic Radio Cruise, and we're inviting all of our listeners, and a bunch of listeners have already signed up. I know, and you know what? I've signed up and you've signed up, so right. it's going to be a party. Yep, and we got a great rate because it's a group rate, and we can pass that rate on to you. Starts at only eleven ninety nine per person. That includes gratuities. And free Wi-Fi. It's an amazing deal. It's on Oceana, which is really the best uh, cruise line for food 
and for service and for destinations, right? And where are we going? What is our destination? We're going to Bermuda. We're going to Bermuda, baby. St. George and Hamilton. So we've got two islands in Bermuda, and we're going to be sailing around and having a great time on this beautiful ship. It's called Insignia, and it's for seven nights. And we hope you'll join us. We're going to have all sorts of fun besides the fun of a cruise ship with the casino and the restaurants and the spas and the pools and all the excitement. We are also planning our own excitement, and we're going to have uh, special events just for our group. We'll have a special cocktail party, a trivia contest. We're going to have auditions. We're going to have an onboard live radio reenactment. We're going to have loads of fun. We're going to just hang out with our listeners and have fun and eat and swim and just uh, have a great time. We hope that you will look into it. And if you can join us on the cruise, it would make us so very happy to meet and uh, spend time with our listeners. Absolutely. It's uh, it's really easy to learn all about it. Just go to our website at Hollywood. Uh, it's at Hollywood 360, WGNRadioTheater.com. Well, you can go to Hollywood360Radio.com, too. That's our other radio show. It's our syndicated show. Either one, and just scroll down and click the cruise banner. I'm going to give you the phone number. We're working with a travel agency called Keen Luxury Travel. It's K-E-E-N-E, Luxury Travel. Their phone number is toll-free, 800-856-1155. And uh, give them a call. They'll answer all your questions, and they'll be there for you. So uh, check it out. We hope that you'll uh, think about signing up right now before it gets filled up. And it's going to be very warm, like 85 to 90 degrees. They're telling me that's what it's like at that uh, time of the year. And we're going to get our deep, dark tans together. Yeah, it flies out of New York, so it's really easy to get there. And then uh, seven nights. I can't wait. I can't wait. August 1st, 2020. So it's less than a year away. So book early. Go to the website. Go to WGNRadioTheater.com. Click on the cruise banner. Learn all about it. And sign up. We want you to go with us to Bermuda. Um, and you know what, Lisa? What, Carl? We're going to start things off with a cocktail party. Get to know everybody. Okay. Yeah. You like a cocktail like, party? Oh, what, what's your favorite? Well, uh, you're going to be drinking Roma wine. Uh, that's for sure. What's your favorite cocktail, Carl? I like a pina colada. Do you? Is, Do I don't you know if like a, pina is colada? Is that a, it's kind of a cocktail, It's right? a cocktail. Yeah, it's a Get, fruity Do you like getting caught drink. in the rain? <laughs> getting <laughs> caught in the rain. Do you know who sings that? Um, Beach Boys. Are you sure? It's the Beach Boys. Do you like Pina Coladas right? as a Beach Boys song? I don't think so. I do could you be like Pina Coladas? That's a Beach Boys. Is it? Maybe it is. I do don't know. Do you like Make Love at Midnight? It's it's a Beach Boys song? Yeah, right? I don't know. Roger would know. Sha- Roger knows all the songs. Shantae, is it Beach Boys? I don't think so. Do you so. like Pina Coladas? I'm pretty but sure But you know what? You're, you're, we'll figure it out. You're always right. I'm and probably I'm always rarely wrong. wrong. You're always right with Autolite, right? <laughs> That's true. In the next hour... We're going to have a good detective adventure with Sherlock Holmes from 1947. Is it right? Should I don't know. She's checking. Oh, she's checking. Uh, with John, Shirley, uh, John Stanley and Alfred Shirley from 1947. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, so Lisa was wrong. <laughs> for once in her life, was wrong. I'm sorry. It's definitely not the Beach Boys. No, definitely was not. It was Rupert 
Holmes. I was tired of my lady. He was tired of his lady. They've been together way, way too, too long. long. <laughs> it's a real thing. <laughs> this is good. You like these lyrics? Good lyrics. Oh, caught. Sorry. <laughs> I get everything she wrong. She doesn't know the words and she doesn't know who sang it. But, uh, yeah, I like I like pina coladas. They're my fa- it's my favorite. All right. Well, we're going to hold you to that. I like a sangria, too. I like a, like a fruity sangria. I like fruity drinks. How about know. a rum and Coke? Nah. No. Not really. I don't drink. <laughs> well, you drink Roma wines. Well, yeah, but that's it. So, <laughs> it's got to uh, so be Roma. We had a couple of text people asking for the uh, cruise telephone number again, the toll-free number. I'm going to give it to you. It's a great way to uh, get in touch with the travel agency, ask questions, and feel you're really confident about going on this cruise. The number at Keen Luxury Travel is 800-856-1155. Give them a call. All right. Well, it is uh, hour two. We'll be here till one o'clock in the morning. We're going to play The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes in this hour. Yes, All Lisa? Right. Thank you to one of my listeners. They, they cleared it up. Now I know why I thought it was the Beach Boys. Why? Because it's Bermuda, Bahama. Ah, Come on, pretty mama. mama. Key That's Largo. Okay. Yeah, that... Do, that I, that should be our theme song. That should be our theme for, song. And I, that's the song I was really thinking of when I said Beach Boys. So I got a little sidetracked. But right, well, I figured out. So thank you. Um, to I'll cut you some slack. Whoever, whoever comes from 801, I don't know where that zip code is, that area code. But wherever it is, thank you. You are absolutely right. I'll cut right. you some slack. You're still wrong. Okay, I am. But I was, and I understand why I was wrong. So I feel better about it. All right. There you go. <laughs> In this hour, Sherlock Holmes from 1947. But first, someone's going to win a pizza oh. from Lou Malnati's. Oh, oh, oh man. We give so away good. great prizes here Don't on the we? WGN Radio Show. I know. And that pizza, wow. Okay. All right. So yes. we're going to play our game, Cat's Pride. Is it real or is it ridiculous? Now, last hour, the celebrity was Barbara Eden. So it would make sense. Elizabeth this- Montgomery. No, no, oh. no, no. I'm, I'm still on I Dream Larry of Larry Hagman. Thank you. All right. Larry Hagman is a celebrity. And, of course, we're going to be giving away a Lou Malnati's gift certificate for 25 bucks. So that's the best there is. What caller? We're going to go with caller number three. Call right now, 312-981-7200. We'll be right back. Come on, baby. Let's get We have Ron on the phone. Hey, Ron. Hey, Ron. Uh, you're swallowing. Hi there. Hi oh. there. Ron here. Yeah, yeah right. good, good, good. <laughs> Having a little Roma wine or a pina colada there? <laughs> Actually, it's a little Seagram 7 in water. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. Well, we're going to keep it clean here at the radio station, but we hope you're having fun at home. <laughs> so we're going to do a little Larry Hagman, and you're already a winner. Oh, You've yeah, already won Larry, a pizza. Yeah. All right, okay. you ready? All right, here we go. Number one. Okay. He won two Emmy Awards for his performance as J.R. in Dallas. Real or ridiculous? Ridiculous. Mm, I'm going to say real. It is ridiculous, oh, Ron. You are absolutely Ron. right. Way he, to go, Ron. He, he was nominated, but he did not win. So Here's there from you me, go. my theme song. <laughs> Poor Carl. <laughs> Number two. I love that. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> he was in the Air Force before he became Major Nelson. Real or ridiculous? 
Look real. at you. Is that real? I'd say ridiculous. <laughs> it is real. <laughs> Ron, you are you are on I fire. I need to just listen to my listeners. They're way smarter than I am. We know that. Here's for here's for Ron. <laughs> yes, you are. And here's for me, dummy. <laughs> all right, Ron, you can join the I Got All Three Right Club. I stink at this game. <laughs> That's why I like it so much. Number three, <laughs> Larry was also a TV and film director and directed various episodes of I Dream of Jeannie. Real or ridiculous? <laughs> real, 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 real. I, I'm agreeing with Ron, real. <laughs> Finally, you learned your <laughs> lesson. Ron, you are absolutely right. And you, you win... You're great because you got all three right, which is really very rare. What do you like on your pizza, Ron? <laughs> Everything. All right. Throw it the all works. on there. A little pineapple, the some anchovies. It's all good. <laughs> no anchovies. <laughs> no anchovies. I'm with you on that. Ron, you have won a Lou Malnati's gift certificate. Lou Malnati's is home of Chicago's very best deep dish pizza, our favorite here on WGN Radio Theater. You can find one of their 40-plus Chicagoland locations or order online at LouMalnati's.com. And or you could always send a spinach over our way anytime That's you want right. to. That's so, right. Way to go, Ron. All good. Thanks a lot for calling in okay thank you bye i know all right ron's a big winner yes and, he did uh, a great he, job he all three right he sure did i got one well that's only because of ron <laughs> but I'm, i gotta start just agreeing with my listeners don't you get like a i mean are you like getting a first reaction and then switching or are you just no kinda... i just think that they're the other, <laughs> i'm just thinking the wrong answer is correct every time pretty much <laughs> <laughs> I love this game. <laughs> oh, God, I just am terrible at this game. Maybe right. I'm just really good at it. You're kind of sneaky, that's why. That's right. Uh, all right, it's time for the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, man. You want to talk about a radio series that was on the air a long time. This came to radio in 1930. 1930. That's very early on. I don't have any of those broadcasts. No. I mean, I don't. My first, like, radio shows are from, like, 35 36 well around the year when you were born yeah, that's when you started collecting yeah and uh but the early ones like 1930 i don't have any that's of those yeah richard gordon was radio's first sherlock holmes of course the character was created by sir arthur conan doyle and by 1939 you know who was playing uh holmes on radio Basil Rathbone. Is it Basil or Basil? See, I think I it's Basil. Really I think it's Basil Rathbone. Do I mean, I don't, I don't know. know the answer. I've yeah. heard both ways. I think it's Basil. And then uh, Nigel Bruce was uh, Dr. Watson. They were simultaneously starring in a series of movies for um, Fox and then later Universal. They had, I don't know, maybe like 10 movies as Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Mm -hmm. And then um, Basil Rathbone or Basil Rathbone decided, you know what, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore, you know? Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of times. And so he said, I'm done with Sherlock Holmes. So they brought in another English actor in Tom Conway. He took over. But, you know, this is the crazy thing, right? Tom Conway was a pretty big actor, right? They bring him in for the radio show. They don't give him f- top billing. They gave Nigel Bruce so top billing. So what do you billing. think? I don't know. It's huh. weird, right? Yeah. So you had Basil, Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce. They were on radio, Sherlock Holmes, and Basil got the top billing. When he leaves, they bring in Tom Conway. Right. They he demote him to second Poor billing. Guy. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of weird when I hear that. It's like, 
It's like uh, now the adventures of Sherlock Holmes with Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as uh, Sherlock Holmes. But then by 1947, both guys said, I'm out of here. They were like, we're we're gone. And then uh, John Stanley and Alfred Shirley took over, and we have a broadcast starring those two guys. It's called The Adventure of the Copper Beaches from November 2nd, 1947. Here is part one now, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. of Clippercraft Clothes for Men and 924 leading retail stores from coast to coast present the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character of Sherlock Holmes created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is portrayed by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley, and the dramatizations are by Edith Miser. Good evening, Mr. Harris. Good evening. Good evening, Doctor. Good heavens, what's all that pile of envelopes you've got there? That Dr. Watson, believe it or not, is fan mail. You don't say... You mean some of our listeners have really bothered to write to us about these uh, little reminiscences of mine? Why, they have indeed, Doctor. What's more, most of our listeners seem to have a favorite Sherlock Holmes adventure they'd like to have you tell. You don't say. Well, you know, Mr. Harris, I I always aim to please. Any suggestions for tonight's story? (laughs) Hundreds, Doctor, hundreds, literally. And offhand, I'd say the most frequent request in this week's mail is for a story called The Copper Beaches. The Adventure of the Copper Beaches. Well, as a matter of fact, that's always been one of my favorites, Mr. Harris, probably because of the curious secret we discovered in the attic. And uh, may I say here, I'm always happy to get fan mail. And speaking of fan mail, Mr. Harris, that's something you're interested in, too, from another angle, of course. How about it? Quite right, Dr. Watson. Mentioning fan mail naturally brings to mind Clippercraft clothes because of their millions of fans the country over. And there's good reason for these loyal followers. You wouldn't believe, yes, even clothing experts are amazed, that clothes as fine as Clippercraft are available at prices so exceptionally low. Now, things like this don't just happen. It's the result of manufacturing ingenuity and a really great distribution idea, the unique, the famous Clippercraft plan. Now, this plan concentrates the buying power of 924 leading stores across America, makes possible these truly phenomenal values at your own local independent store. In a pleasant atmosphere where you get friendly personal attention, you can buy Clippercraft suits at only $35 and $40 and a few special numbers at $43.75. Top coats and overcoats are only $30 to $40 and sport jackets only $24. You'll always insist on them if you compare Clippercraft clothes with clothes selling for many dollars more. Dr. Watson, now what about the Copper Beaches? It was uh, a cold, gloomy morning in early spring. We were sitting on either side of a cheery fire in our rooms in Baker Street. Holmes had been silent and moody all morning, smoking his long cherrywood pipe, which usually displaced his favorite clay when he was in a disputatious mood. Altogether, he was in no sweet temper. 
Matches, matches, where are the matches? Look at that confounded fog. What happens to all the matches in this house, I'd like to know. Oh, my dear Holmes, why not use the tongs and a live coal if you want to relight your pipe? Mm. Oh, I'd burn myself. For heaven's sake, Holmes, stop spluttering. I say something's annoying you. Why don't you get it off your chest? It's that latest book of yours. Hmm? Sensationalism, Watson, rank sensationalism. You're always placing the emphasis on the crime. Crime is common. Logic is rare. You should stress the logic. You've degraded what should have been a course of lectures into a series of tales. Now, really, Holmes, that's not logical. You're always complaining that crime is falling off. You say there are no first-class criminals left. Quite. And therefore, if you depend on the crime to hold your readers, you'll soon be a back number. Criminals. <laughs> They've lost all their enterprise and originality. My practice seems to be degenerating into an agency for recovering lost lead pencils and giving good advice to young ladies from boarding school. <laughs> advice to the love lord, eh? Well, look at this. This note that came in the morning post. That's the last straw, that's what it is. Here, read it. Jimmy, let me see. Dear Mr. Holmes, I am very anxious to consult you as to whether I should or should not accept a situation which has been offered me as governess. I shall call at half past ten tomorrow if I do not inconvenience you. Yours faithfully, Violet Hunter. But it's almost eleven now. Exactly. She's late, just like a woman. I say, Holmes, this must be the young lady now walking briskly up the street. Let me see. Hmm, brisk, purposeful manner, nice, bright, intelligent face. Yes, she's stopping at our door. There may be something in this case after all, my dear Watson. Yes, she's not the hysterical sort that makes a fuss over nothing. Here she is. Come in. Oh, how do you do? This is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Quite. And this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do? How do you do? Won't you sit down? Thank you. I trust you'll excuse my troubling you, Mr. Holmes, but I've had a very strange experience. And as I have no relations of any sort to advise me, I thought I'd best come to you. I shall be happy to do anything I can. I, um... I've been a governess for five years in the family of Colonel Spence Monroe. He's been transferred to Nova Scotia so that for the last few months I've been without a situation. But the money I had saved began to run out. I... I was at my wit's end. Go on. Yesterday, I called at a well-known employment agency run by a Miss Stoper. When I arrived, the outer office was filled with young ladies looking for situations. I was told to wait. I did so. After about half an hour, my name was called out. Well, the door to Miss Stoper's private office was ajar. Seated beside her was a prodigiously stout man with a round, smiling face and a heavy chin. His eyes were like two little slits. Come in, my dear, come in. Uh, Mr. Rucastle, this is Miss... Uh, oh, yes, what is your name, my dear? Miss Hunter. Violet Hunter. Oh, yes, Violet Hunter. Capital, capital. I couldn't ask for anything better. I'm sure you will do, Miss Hunter. I, I hope so, Mr. Rucastle. You're looking for a situation as governess? Yes, sir. What salary do you ask? Well, I, I had four pounds a month in my last place. Four pounds? Sweating. Rank sweating. How anyone could have the audacity to offer that to a lady with, with such attraction, such accomplishments. Well, my, my accomplishments may not be all you expect, Mr. Mr. Rucastle, a little French, a little German, music and drawing. My dear Miss Hunter, oh, that's beside the question. The point is, are you or are you not a lady? Well... The answer is yes. A lady fitted for the rearing of a child who may someday play a considerable part in the history of this country. Your salary with me, madam, would commence at a hundred pounds a year. A hundred? 
Oh, Mr. Rocastle. Uh, furthermore, it's my custom to advance my young ladies half their salary beforehand. Well, may I ask where you live, Mr. Rocastle? Hampshire. Charming rural spot. The Copper Beaches is the name of the place, five miles north of Winchester. The dearest old house. And... And what would be my duties? One child, a dear little romper age six. Oh, if you could see him killing cockroaches with a slipper. Smack, smack, smack. Three gone before you could wink. <laughs> well, my sole duty then is to take care of this... this child. Well, I, I'm sure your good sense would suggest that you obey any little commands which my wife, wife might give. Well, I should be happy to make myself useful. In dress, for example. We're fatty people. Fatty, but kind-hearted. If you were asked to wear a particular dress that we might give you, you, you wouldn't object to our little whim, eh? Why? Well, no. More to, to sit here or there. That wouldn't be offensive to you? Why? Why, no. Or to cut your hair short before you came to us? My, my hair? <laughs> yes, it's, it's quite essential. It's, it's a little fancy of my wife's, you see. And ladies' fancies, my dear Miss Hunter, they must be consulted. But, but my hair... Oh, no, I couldn't. No? What a pity. In that case, Miss Stoper, I'd best inspect a few more of your young ladies. Good day, then, Miss Hunter. I'm afraid you must consider yourself struck from our list. You can hardly expect us to exert ourselves to find another such opening for you. But, Miss Stoper... Good day, Miss Hunter. Uh, just a minute, Miss Stoper. Let's not be too hard on the young lady. Uh, after all, my request was a bit sudden... Perhaps, Miss Hunter, you'd like uh, 24 hours in which to consider the matter. And in view of the fact that you have particularly beautiful hair, I I might be willing to raise the salary to 120 pounds a year to, to recompense you for our little eccentricities. Unusual, my... Very unusual, my dear Miss Hunter... What do you make of it, Watson? Well, perhaps the gentleman's wife's a lunatic and he wishes to humor in her fancies to, in order to prevent an outbreak. Possibly, Watson, possibly. But the money, Mr. Holmes, the money. Oh, and I need it so. Well, yes, the pay is good. Too good. Why should they give you 120 pounds when they could have their pick for 40? There must be some strong reason. But I... I have no choice. Then you've made up your mind to accept? I must. I thought if I told you the circumstances, you would understand afterwards if... Well, if I wanted your help, I should feel so much stronger if I knew you were behind me. Yes, you may carry that feeling away with you. And if at any time you should find yourself in danger... Danger? But what danger could there be? My dear Miss Hunter, it would cease to be a danger if we could define it. But remember, at any time, day or night, just telegraph and I'll come to your help. Oh, thank you, Mr. Holmes. Thank you. <laughs> You realize, Watson, it's been almost a week since Miss Hunter called and we haven't heard a word from her? I don't like it. Oh, nonsense, Holmes. She seemed to be a young lady who is quite capable of taking care of herself. Just the same, I should never have permitted an unprotected female to accept a situation like that. Data. If I only had some data. Can't make bricks without straw. Well, at any rate, nothing very dreadful can happen out in the open country like that. That is where you're wrong, Watson. It's my experience that the vilest alleys in London do not present a more dreadful record of sin than does the smiling and beautiful countryside. Holmes, you give me the creeps. The pressure of public opinion is greatest in the towns. There's no lane so vile that the scream of a tortured child or the thud of a drunkard's blow does not beget sympathy and assistance from the neighbors. But the countryside, my dear Watson, filled with its lonely houses, think of the hellish cruelty, the, the hidden wickedness. Had our young friend gone to live in Winchester, 
I should not have this fear for her safety. It's the five miles of country which make the danger. See what that is, Watson. Yes. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. It's uh, a telegram for you, Holmes. Give it to me. It's from Miss Hunter. Uh, well, what does she say? Come at once. We'll meet you at the Black Swan Hotel, Winchester, at three this afternoon. And at my wit's end, don't fail me. What do you suppose has happened? Hurry, Watson. We have no time to lose. There's a train from Waterloo Station in half an hour. If only we get to her in time. The game's afoot, Lisa. I don't do an English accent very well. No, uh, you could try it again. Try it again. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) (laughs) With the Adventure of the Copper Beaches. Mm, Mm, Not that good. It's not one of my best. It's not one of your best. You know? I do a better... I'm not good at that. I do a better Yogi Bear. I did a Yogi Bear. Yes, you did. Hey, yo, boo-boo. Let's get another picnic basket. See, you're better at voices than you are accents. That's a whole different ballgame yeah, there. Accent, yeah, accents are tougher. Yes, they are. You know? Uh, <laughs> Don't do it again. It's the good. Adventures <laughs> of good. Sherlock Holmes. Oh, that was perfect right there. That was great, Carl. <laughs> All right, we'll get back to it in just a moment. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. It's a good piano playing there, Lisa. Thank you, Carl. Lisa does play the piano. She's an amazing I took piano lessons pianist. like my whole childhood. Wow. Yeah. Wasn't that like? Didn't you hate that as a kid? Um, being like, I liked it it's for time a while. For piano. Yeah, uh, I had to practice. I liked it for a while until I got you know maybe into high school, and then it became more of a chore. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a really little kid, you were never. Little. <laughs> I was born an adult. No, when I was a little kid, um, you know, I could draw. I I came out of the womb able to draw, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> and uh, so my parents recognized that, and so they sent me to uh, art school. Right, Estelle Fidel School of Art. She was an amazing artist. So did it help you? Yeah, I mean, it, de- it definitely did, but I didn't like to do it because it was on Saturdays, oh, right? So you go to school right. all day, I mean, all week, and then, and then you Saturday, have to get up from going it was to like, class. all right, let's go. I'd be like, no, I don't want to yeah. go to art school. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? And then go there, and you were sitting at an easel for like five hours. Oh, no. And painting or chalk you know, or whatever. this is kind of interesting. My piano teacher lived near my elementary school. So during my lunch break at school, I would walk over to her house. And These I would, were the days where you can walk around. Yeah, I walked worry. to her house during, during anymore, school hours. Unfortunately. I left for lunch. I'd bring my lunch with me. So I'd have my piano lesson and then I had a voice lesson right after for a little bit. And then I'd eat my lunch there at her in her kitchen. And then I'd walk back to school every week. <laughs> Probably had a little. Myself. Did you have a little um, lunchbox? I had like, a, it was a bag with like Minnie Mouse on it or something. I don't remember. She used to have to give me a glass of milk. That that's the deal. My mom yeah. worked out. She gave me the milk, right? Because I couldn't get the milk. Make at sure school. Lisa has her milk. Yeah, I had a glass of you milk know? with my she sandwich. Needs her, she needs her <laughs> calcium. <laughs> and walk back. <laughs> Mrs. Gettleman was her name. <laughs> I bet you you were like a, a good little girl, right? You're probably I was. like you're probably like yes, mommy, whatever you say. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a good little girl. <laughs> yeah, and you had, <laughs> and you had your um, um, shag carpeting. I sure did. With your 
your yellow green. telephone with yes, a long cord. Yes, I did. Just, I could see it. That was me. We had one phone in the house for everyone. One phone. No, I had my Lisa own phone. Lisa had her own phone. <laughs> this is the difference. <laughs> Growing yes, up in I the Batanki home. Yeah, I had right? a phone. Everybody, all the kids had their own phone. No, we had, one we phone. had two lines, though. We had uh, the regular phone line, and then we had the second line for the kids. We had like, oh, the really? kids oh, line. Oh, okay. Yeah, we had one phone. So we phone. had two phone numbers. Although my sister Carlene and my sister Angela, they shared a room and they had a phone eventually. Yeah. You know, they had a phone. And so when I needed to make a, if someone was on the call and I needed to call someone, I'd sometimes sneak in there and use the phone. You had to sneak in your sister's room to <laughs> yeah. use the oh, phone. Yeah, oh yeah, because remember it was expensive back then. You couldn't, to make a long no, distance call. No, we had the call or, pack. Oh, you had the call yeah, pack. Yeah, it's unlimited. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, your dad knew how to do that kind That's of stuff. That's right. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we're reminiscing about our uh, being kids. Do you remember what? Gosh, I think I was born an adult, though. I think you're still not an adult. <laughs> I you're was still, hatched. You're still getting I there. I think I was hatched. <laughs> I think so too. All right, we're listening to the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, and we've confirmed it's Basil. I right? think so. Although we've got the expert, here although he on the is line. not on the show, this guy John Stanley sounds a lot like Basil mm-hmm. Rathbone. They got you know actors that could sound like Nigel Bruce and and Basil Rathbone. Here's the conclusion now to Sherlock Holmes. Yes, there's the black swan opposite the station. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, that is Miss Hunter waiting for us on the steps. Oh, Mr. Holmes, it's so kind of you to come. You too, Dr. Watson. I can't tell you how anxious I've been. I... There, there, Miss Hunter. I, um, Watson, you'd better handle this situation. You're better with hysterical women than I am. Holmes, you are a cold-blooded fish. It's not hysteria. It's relief. It's all right, Miss Hunter. We are here, you know. I'm really not as foolish as I sound. It's just that the strain of the last two weeks. But I'll tell you about that as we go along. There's a shortcut to the Copper Beaches through the woods. Come along, then. Now, Miss Hunter, if you'll tell us what's been happening since you arrived at the Rucastle household. Well, Copper Beaches is a large, sinister-looking house, almost completely surrounded by woods. It depressed me from the moment of my arrival. I was met at the door by Mr. Rucastle and his wife. And is she... No, Mr. Holmes. She is not mad. I see. She's a small, pale-faced woman, much younger than Mr. Rucastle. In fact, I gather that she's his second wife. There was a daughter by the first marriage, a girl now over 20, but she's not living at the house. Mr. Rucastle said that she could not get along with her stepmother, so he sent her to America, to Philadelphia. America? How extraordinary. And uh, does Mrs. Rucastle strike you as a difficult woman to get along with? Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. She's shy and rather quiet. More than once I've surprised her in tears. At first, I thought it might be worry over the disposition of her child. What's the matter with his disposition? Well, he's badly spoiled. He's an ungovernable temper and seems to take a great delight in torturing birds and small animals. Mm, Pleasant little beast. And the rest of the household? There's only one servant. Toller is his name. A rough, uncouth man with a perpetual smell of drink about him. Why they keep him, I don't know. Except, perhaps, because he's the only one who can manage Carlo. Carlo? Carlo is a huge underfed mastiff that's kept chained in the stables during the day. But at night they let him out. He's a terrible beast. Even Mr. Rucastle is afraid of him. Well, I'm sure he'd tear any trespasser to bits. Mm. I wonder why Mr. Rucastle desires such ferocious protection. I'm sure I don't know. Unless... Unless there is something on the top floor of the West Wing that he wants to hide. The West Wing, eh? Yes. The door that leads into it is opposite my room. It's kept securely locked. I have noticed Mr. Rucastle going in and out a couple of times. The windows of that wing are all shuttered, too. 
and locked from the inside. Mm, looks nasty to me, Holmes. Watson, don't interrupt. Well, the second day after my arrival, immediately after breakfast, Mr. Rucastle asked me to put on a dress which had been laid out on the bed for me. What was it like? It wasn't a new dress, Mr. Holmes, but the material was excellent and of a particularly brilliant shade. An electric blue. Oh, charming colour, huh? I put it on and went down to the living room. Mr. Rucastle had placed a chair for me by the front window. Sit here with your back to the window. You may read this book aloud. <laughs> a French novel. I, I think we'll uh, find it most uh, amusing. After an hour or so, you may go back upstairs and change to your own clothes. But, Mr. Rucastle, I don't understand. Who asked you to understand? Just do as I say. Strange. Very strange, Miss Hutter. I've had to sit there in the window for an hour every morning since then. As time passed, I became more and more curious. Why were they so careful to keep my face turned away from the window? Naturally, I was consumed with desire to see what was going on behind my back. Well, today I devised a means. I noticed at breakfast that Mr. Rucastle had had quite a few drinks. A happy thought seized me. My hand mirror had been broken. I concealed a piece of it in my handkerchief and later in my book, feeling sure that Mr. Rucastle was too drunk to notice. By holding the book up, I was able to see everything behind me. And what did you see? At first, there was nothing. At the second glance, however, I saw a young man in a grey suit leaning against a railing which bordered our field. He was looking earnestly in my direction. Mr. Rucastle must have noticed my surprise, for he burst out angrily. Really, Miss Hunter, your attention must be wandering. That's the second time you've read that passage. Furthermore, there's an impertinent fellow up the road who keeps staring at you. Is it a friend of yours? Oh, no, Mr. Rucastle. I don't know anyone around here. Uh, kindly turn around and motion him to go away. But wouldn't it be better not to notice Do him? as I tell you. I really don't encourage you to have any followers. Oh, very well, Mr. Rucastle. There. Hmm. Impertinent fellow. That'll be all for this morning, Miss Hunter. May go to your room. But, Mr. Rucastle, I hope you don't think... Go to your I... room, I say. Yes, sir. And after this, you needn't bother to wear that blue dress. <laughs> I did as I was told, Mr. Holmes. But on the way upstairs, I noticed that the door to the west wing had the key still in the lock. Rucastle well, must have been drunk to forget that, eh, Holmes? Quiet, Watson. I'll admit my curiosity was greater than my sense of caution. I opened the door and mounted the stairs to the attic. In the hall at the top of the house, I found three doors. The middle one barred with the end of an old iron bedstead. Good Lord. It was terribly spooky up there. Once something brushed against my face. Oh, what was that? Oh, it must have been a bat. Oh dear. Is it is there anyone in there? Who's there? Can I help you? So it was you then. I thought it must be when I saw the door open. Oh, oh Mr. Rucastle, I'm so frightened. <laughs> My dear young lady, what frightened you? Well, I, I was foolish enough to come into this vacant wing, but it's so lonely and eerie, and a bat swooped down into my face. Is that all? What? What, what else could there be? Why do you suppose I keep that door locked? Well, I, 
I'm sure I don't know. It's to keep people out who have no business there, you see. Well, uh, I'm sure if I'd known... I... Well, you know now, my dear young lady. And if you ever put your foot over that threshold again, I'll throw you to the mastiffs. <laughs> What a dreadful experience. Mr. Holmes, I feel sure there's someone locked in that room. Someone who's unhappy, perhaps tortured. Oh, good heavens, it's almost five. I promised to be back by six. Mr. and Mrs. Rucastle are going out. Mr. Rucastle should discover where I've been. You've acted like a brave and sensible girl, Miss Hunter. Yes, indeed you have. Dr. Watson and I will hang around until the Rucastles have left. Well, that should be around seven. Good. I don't imagine the Mastiff will be let loose until they return. Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. It would be too dangerous for them to get back to the house. Excellent. We'll hope the Toller's still drunk. At any rate, you must get us into the house. We must explore the West Wing. I'll do my best, Mr. Holmes. And now I must hurry. Goodbye, gentlemen. Goodbye, Miss Hunter. Well, my dear Holmes... What do you make of it all? The blue dress and the man in front of the house. Obviously, they've had her impersonating someone. Someone young, whose hair had been cut off during an illness. That someone is probably the person imprisoned in the West Wing. How sinister. That is not the most sinister part of Miss Hunter's story, Watson. No? <clears throat> what is then? The unpleasant disposition of the child. But what has that got to do with it? My dear Watson, as a medical man, you're always gaining light as to the tendencies of a child by a study of the parents. Heredity is a science that can be worked backwards as well. You can get a good insight into the character of the parents by studying the children. This child is cruel, abnormally cruel. He probably inherits it from one of his parents. I only hope nothing serious happens before seven o'clock. Gracious, what a night. The first thunderstorm of the season. See, listen to that dog. He has an ugly temper. Look at the copper beaches swaying in the wind. Yes, there's Miss Hunter standing in the front doorway. She's waving to us. The coast must be clear. Come in, come in. Goodness, you must be soaked to the skin. What's that pounding? It's Toller. He was just going out to release the dog. I sent him to the wine cellar, then locked him in. Splendid. I managed to get Toller's keys this afternoon, too. He was quite drunk. They're duplicates of Mr. Rucastle's. Better and better. But come along upstairs. We have no time to waste. You got your revolver handy, Watson? Yes. Good. Heavens. That lightning must have hit near here. One of the copper beaches, no doubt. Now, which key? Ah, oh, this one, I fancy. That's right. Listen to that rain on the roof. The middle door, you said. Hello in there. No answer, I don't like that. Watson, help me remove this bedstead. Right. That's right, it's tied at one end, cut the rope. That's it. The, the door's locked. We must break it in then. Come on. One, two, three. Hello, there's no one here. That villain, Rucastle, must have made away with his prisoner. That's your right. He's probably been carried off. But how? Through the skylight. It's still open. Shove that table over here. All right. What are you going to do? Stand on it, of course. Yes. Two pairs of footprints. There's a ladder resting against the eaves. So that's how he did it. But that's not possible. 
the ladder wasn't there when the rue castles went away. Then he must have come back. Come it's dangerous back. and clever man. Listen. Listen. Yes, I think I hear his footsteps on the stairs. <gasps> oh, Mr. Holmes, it's Mr. Rue Castle. He'll kill us all. I thought I'd find you here. Villain, what have you done with your daughter? I'm the one that should ask that, you thieves, you robbers. I've caught you. I'll fix you. Carlo! Carlo! He's gone for the dog. We'll be torn to shreds. Quick, Watson, we must close the front door. Get me out! Get me out! Mr. Rucastle has loosed the dog! He'll get him! He's killing Mr. Rucastle! Wait, we're going to be too late! It's Connor. Here are the keys, Miss Hunter. Let him out. All right. Watson, give me your revolver. Careful, you don't hit the man by mistake. Shut up and stand back, Watson. Oh, Mr. Holmes. Oh, thank heavens you've done it. You've killed Carlo. Oh, I thought it was too late. Oh, it's too horrible. I think I feel... No, 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 Miss Hunter. You're out of danger. Just you go upstairs and pack your bag. Dr. Watson and I are going to take you back to town with us on the nine o'clock train. Now, Watson, suppose you see if there's anything you can do for that villain, Rue Castle. He's not worth saving, but... I suppose your conscience won't rest unless you have a try at it. So you think, Watson, that Rue Castle will live? I'm afraid so, Holmes. Oh, I'm so glad to get away from that dreadful place. Yes, I'm sure you are, Miss Hunter. I say, Holmes, just what did happen to the prisoner in the West Wing? Uh, and who was it? It's all disgustingly simple, my dear Watson. It was Rue Castle's daughter, as I suspected. It seems that she'd inherited some money from her mother. And when she threatened to get married and take her money with her, her father tried to get her to sign a paper giving the money to him. He worried her until she got brain fever and had to have all her hair cut off. Well, where did you get that information? From Tara. In spite of everything, Miss Rue Castle's young man stuck to her and she to him. After that, Mr. Rucastle locked his daughter up and brought Miss Hunter down from London in order to impersonate her to get rid of the persistent suitor. This young gentleman, however, was a persevering chap. Oh, good for him. Having greased Toller's palm very thoroughly, he learned the true state of affairs. And with the help of Toller and a long stepladder, he rescued his fiancée. It's really quite romantic, isn't it, Holmes? <laughs> you and your romance, Watson. You're a regular old woman. Well, I'm glad we were able to help the poor thing. But I wouldn't go back to that house again, not for twice the salary. Oh, uh, that reminds me, Miss Hunter. I was talking to a friend of mine about you the other day. Uh, she has a private school in Walsall. I believe she said she had an opening for you. Oh, Mr. Holmes, you're not a cold-blooded fish at all. You're a darling. Uh, now, <clears throat> now, my dear, it's quite uh, inconsequential. Uh, really, you know... It... Well, do I say... oh, shut up, Watson. <laughs> And what, may I ask, have you in store for us next week, Dr. Watson? Next week, uh, suppose I tell you the story of a curious cadaver which was found in some recently excavated Roman baths. The dead body was clothed in the tunic and toga of a Roman senator. In the last stages of decomposition, I suppose. Oh, no, not at all, Mr. Harris. The body had the appearance of having died not more than a few hours previous. <laughs> The 
makers of Clippercraft clothes and 924 leading stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Lockford with special music by Albert Berman. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes in The Cadaver in the Roman Toga. If you'd like to attend the Sherlock Holmes broadcasts in New York, see your local Clippercraft dealer, and he'll tell you how to obtain your tickets. That was sponsored by Clipper Craft Clothes. Say that ten that, times. That's tough. Clipper Craft Clothes. Say it three times. Clipper Craft Clothes. Wait, what? Clipper Craft Clothes. <laughs> that's not it. Clipper Craft Clothes. Clipper Craft. Clipper Craft. Clipper Craft. Clipper Craft Clothes. Clipper Craft. Clipper Craft Clothes. Clipper Craft Clothes. I don't think there's any Clipper Craft Clothes. Clipper Craft. Crippler. Crippler. Crippler Craft Clothes. Uh, Cripper Clap. Crip, what was the guy's name? Craft. Ruxton. Steve Ruxton. Clipper <laughs> Craft Clothes. Yeah, was the sponsor. You know, Vic doesn't realize how lucky oh, he is. Vic, he's, Vic, Vic. I'm telling you, he's not up I, there. But I, I, he's I say a lucky Vic's guy. Name right every single you time. You do. You do, yeah. but his name is not Steve Ruxton, and that's good. The for Adventures Vic. of Sherlock Holmes. There, John Stanley, Alfred Shirley. And um, <laughs> Cy Harris doing the announcing on that. And he said Clipper Craft Clothes That's, very well. Yeah, he's Not good sure at it. Not sure. He's practiced. He, he practiced he a lot. He goes to bed at night and practices that. November 2nd, 1947, The Adventure of the Copper Beaches, as heard on Mutual. I hope you enjoyed that.